Good morning again, everyone. We have now gotten to the time of the year where it's okay to wear your shower shoes to worship. And uh, um, it's kind of like uh, we went from one season to another uh, just all at once. So we're in this series on essential elements of the Christian life. Uh, what are they? And say a little bit about each one. And I've said, if you don't agree with me, that's okay. But you need to come up with your own list. I take it as worship, prayer, Bible study, fellowship, and some kind of death to self outreach, reaching outside yourself to serve people locally or globally, word-based ministries or deed-based ministries. We'll get into that more later. Uh, I'm going to use a quote from uh, a book familiar to many of you, uh, Daniel Defoe's Robinson Crusoe. And uh, some of you may be stirred to say, well, I ought to read that book when I do the quote. I just want to warn you that there are some uh, versions, some editions of, of Robinson Crusoe that the Christian elements have been extracted. And so if you would decide you wanted to read it, make sure you get a, a, a version or an edition that that has not happened to it, okay? Um, there, there are many of them out there, but there are many of the others out there. And there's some really interesting things in there because I think in the course of his adventures, Crusoe became a Christian. I'm going to read that part, just a paragraph uh, in a little bit. Uh, before we read the scripture, I want to set it up by telling you a story uh, about a, um, a man who um, uh, used to blow the steam whistle at a factory uh, where he worked. Uh, he was uh, on the janitorial staff there and was fairly unassuming and unappreciated. And the fact that he blew the whistle at the start of the workday and at the end of the day uh, gave him great, uh, a great sense of satisfaction. Uh, it made him feel like uh, somebody. Every day on the way to work, he would uh, go by a jewelry store downtown uh, in this town where he lived, and he would pull out his pocket watch and set his pocket watch with the big clock in the window of the jewelry store. Uh, this was long ago before iPhones. You get, you get it, okay? And he would set his pocket watch so when he blew the whistle at the factory, uh, he knew that he had it uh, accurate. And so one day when he was walking by the jewelry store, he it hit upon him that he needed to go in and ask the owner a question, so he did, and went in and said, uh, hey, how do you keep your clock in the window there accurate? And the man said, well, you know, every day there's a whistle that blows up at the factory, and when the whistle blows, I just correct my clock to fit with what the whistle says. And uh, you guessed it, I could tell, didn't you? Well, you see... Without the Bible, that's where we are. Without the Bible, that's where we are. If we are to really get who we are and where we are, and, and our, we need a word from the outside. We don't need to compare ourselves with ourselves. And one person says, what do you think? And the other one says, what do you think? And the other one says, what do you think? We share our ignorance. But if God would be so gracious to us that he would speak to us. I, I used to say or a year ago when I was preaching, I would, one of the things I would frequently say is that the Bible is not man's words about God. 
where we sit around and talk and what do you think? Let's tell a story that will tell us what we think about God. But it's God's word to man. And, and it's a top-down kind of a thing. And, and we need that kind of word. Uh, we believe that the Bible is the word of God written, the only infallible rule of faith and practice, the only infallible rule of creed, what we profess, and conduct what we do. And it's a word from the outside. It's a word from God. And us, as such, that's very, very good news. So let's pray. Then we're going to read some verses from 2 Timothy uh, that are listed there. Uh, actually, it's 3.10 through 4, verse 5. Uh, they're not 45 verses in, in chapter 3. Um, let's pray. Lord our God, uh, thank you that you've given us a word from the outside, a, a word from you. Uh, a, word a word that is very gracious, gracious, if we understand it right. Uh, a word that can, can uh, lead to uh, that we be born again uh, by the living and abiding Word of God. That we would be corrected and directed and shown the proper way. And uh, thank you for this word. I pray that your spirit that inspired it would illuminate it to our, under, our understanding this day. And you, you would use a wretchedly sinful crooked stick to show the narrow way of the Lord Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to begin uh, reading at verse 10 of chapter 3. It would be good to begin at chapter 1, but I don't want to lose you from the start, so to speak, okay? So at 3.10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at, a, at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachings, teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers will fade, but this, God, this word will not fade. It will abide forever and forever. In our, in our more, more honest, honest moments, moments, we would all 
admit that we need grace from God. We need unmerited favor or help, undeserved kindness or mercy. Uh, Americans are not wired that way. We're not wired to receive help. We're not wired to depend on somebody else. Uh, But the brokenness and the pain and the problems and the sorrows and the struggles of life in this fallen world move us into the direction of realizing, you know, we really do need unmerited help and kindness from God. Now, the grace we need has got to come from God, right? Uh, He has the resources to be helping us. Uh, He is in his very nature, I would say, a giving God. He may not give to us what we want and the way we want it and when we want it, but he is a willing giver. He is not a reluctant giver. Uh, giver. I may have told you the story of the man uh, in the Methodist church I grew up in um, named Mr. Zachary, who was in charge of uh, people to take up the offering at the evening service at uh, this Methodist church. And he would get uh, those of us in the youth group to take up the offering. And uh, uh, we were pretty young, and he was, uh, I don't know how old he was, looked real old, but from my perspective today, he probably wasn't very old at all, you know. But he would get a quarter, and he would put it in his hand and tighten his fist, and he would say, if you can get the quarter out of my fist, you can have it. And we would pry and pull. We could never get it out. It's sad to say for some of us, that's our view of God and his grace and willingness to give and help. It, it's, it's, his hand is tight. His hand is closed. And he's saying, if you can pull it out, you can have some help from me. But rather, that's, a, I think, a perverse view of God, that God's very open-armed and open-handed. He's willing, not the way we want, not what we want, not exactly when we want, but God is a willing giver. So, if God gives grace and is a willing giver, how does he do that? Well, in the, in the Reformed tradition, the standard answer to that is the Word of God, and his sacraments and prayer. And, and I think that's true. And, and, uh, and, and I also think that uh, spiritual gifts that I preached on a while back are part of that. I'll get to that next message, God willing. Uh, but there's primacy to the Word, because without the Word, we wouldn't know exactly how to, how to pray, would we? Last week we looked at uh, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples, and we need to be taught to pray, and that's in the Word of God, and we need to be taught about the sacraments, and that's in the Word of God. So, but how do these means of grace work? I want to make, I'm just going to give you some, quite a bit of introduction here, but, but this is, I think, really important. Um, how do the means of grace work, the Word, sacraments, and prayer? How do they work? Do they work automatically? You know, like a thermostat, you know, you may have left home this morning, you set, turned on an air conditioner if you had one, you set it on a certain temperature, and when the temperature in the house gets out of accord with that, it, it clicks in automatically, you know, and, and, and grace does not work that way. And, and it, doesn't, it doesn't work inherently either. It's not like taking a pill, that I can take a pill of grace, um, and that the power and the blessing, uh, the grace are, are, are in, the, in, the, in the sacrament or in the, the Word. In other words, if I just read the Word, will I get blessing automatically? 
inherently? No, I don't think so. Because all three of the means of grace require what? Well, one thing is faith. That if I'm going to be blessed by reading the Word, I've got to believe it and strive to apply it. If I'm going to get grace from the sacrament, I've got to have faith. If I'm going to get grace from prayer, I've got to have faith. So if we're going to get grace from the Bible, we've got to read it, believe it, obey it. If it tells us to believe in Jesus for eternal life, we've got to actually entrust ourselves to Jesus for eternal life, for faith. Just being aware of an offer is not enough. Just reading the words is not enough. Merely taking the sacrament is not enough. Merely mouthing the words of a good prayer is not enough. We must have faith. We must have trust. We must have hope and confidence. And all of the means of grace require not only faith, but to have that faith, I think the attending uh, touch... Or, or work of the Holy Spirit. There's a hymn that says, The Spirit breathes upon the Word and brings the truth so, to sight. The hand that gives it still supplies the gracious light and heat. And that's why I always have a prayer for illumination before I read the Scriptures uh, to you in the morning. Because without the help of the Holy Spirit, you and I cannot understand the Bible. You and I cannot profit from the Bible. You say, well, yes, I can. And I'm going to say, no, you can't. <laughs> if you think you're profiting from the Bible, it's only by the grace of God, the Spirit of God, that inspired these words, uh, opening your heart and giving you eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to feel and a will to obey. It just requires that. You've got to have the help of the Holy Spirit. If you look earlier in chapter 3, it says in, in verse 7, some were always learning but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. How did that happen? How did it happen that people were always learning about the Bible like the Pharisees did? Always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth and never could quite get it, could never quite connect the dots. What did they lack? The Holy Spirit, the living God. We're absolutely dependent on the Holy Spirit. If you read the Bible in the morning or afternoon or evening and it blesses you, you can be sure the Holy Spirit was working in you at that moment. It says in verse 8 of this same chapter that some were corrupted in mind. They were corrupted in mind, and, and only the, the touch of the Holy Spirit can help people to get over that. In, in chapter uh, 6 of 1 Timothy, it says, depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. 1 Timothy 6 verse 5, what's the fault? No, no work of the Holy Spirit. So that's why I always pray a prayer for illumination. And I try to do that also in my personal Bible reading. And I would commend that to you as well. Because anytime we approach the Word of God, we're going to need the help of God, God the Holy Spirit, to understand it. So a couple of other things. We'll look at the text then. What do we mean by the Word of God? Well, the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 1, says the 66 books of the Bible. The Old Testament's 39 books. The New Testament's 27 books. No Apocrypha, no other holy books. And then one other thing that's important. What grace do we receive in the Lord's Supper? What grace do we receive, receive from the Word of God? 
And in a nutshell, the answer is you receive Christ. You receive good news. Um, all the scriptures speak of him, Luke 24. Moses wrote of me, John 5. The Bible is not a history book, though there is history in it. It's telling us about God and about Christ and his kingdom. It's telling us the good news from stem to stern, from first to last. When properly understood, it's telling us about Jesus. That's how Timothy came to be saved, right? In verse 15, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and then in, in chapter uh, 1, verse 5, uh, he talks about this. Look, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Well, what did Lois and Eunice do to communicate the faith to Timothy? Well, Timothy had known the sacred writings. He was saved, I think, because of the Scriptures working within him. I was saved by reading a Bible. Most of you probably don't remember my testimony I shared, but I bought a Bible, I took it home, I started reading it. I came under conviction of sin, and I reached out to Jesus eventually to save me from those sins. It happened uh, to Robinson Crusoe, too. Let me read you uh, just a paragraph or so uh, from uh, uh, this edition I have. Um, in the morning... Crusoe says, I took the Bible, and beginning at the New Testament, I began seriously to read it and to impose upon myself to read a while every morning and every night, not tying myself to the number of chapters, but as long as my thoughts should engage me. In other words, as long as I could really engage with the text. It was not long after I sat seriously to this work, but I found my heart more deeply and sincerely affected with the wickedness of my past life. In other words, he came under conviction of sin. The impressions of my dream revived, and the words, all things have not brought thee to repentance, ran seriously in my thought. I was earnestly begging of God to give me repentance when it happened providentially the very day that, reading the Scriptures, I came to the words, He has exalted a prince and a savior to give repentance and to give remission. I threw down the book and with my heart as well as my hands lifted up to heaven in a cry of ecstasy and a kind of ecstasy of joy, I cried out aloud, Jesus, thou son of David, Jesus, thou exalted prince and savior, give me repentance. This was the first time that I could say in the true sense of the words that I prayed in all my life. For now I pray with a sense of my condition and with a true scripture view of hope founded on the encouragement of the Word of God. So, yeah, the scriptures are what make us wise unto salvation. The scriptures are what tell us about Jesus. The scriptures are what uh, tell us uh, that we need Jesus by pointing out our sins and our sinfulness. And so when accompanied by the touch of the Spirit, the Scriptures are like a fire or a hammer, Jeremiah 23. The power of God into salvation, Romans 1. The imperishable seed of God that brings about the new birth, the living and abiding Word of God. So, a lot of introduction to set it up, tee it up, uh, to talk about the Bible now from this passage that the Apostle Paul 
depend on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So verses 16 and 17 of chapter 3 now. First, the origin and nature of the Scriptures. The Scriptures are clearly from God. All Scripture is breathed by God. It's God's self-revelation to us. And without the Scriptures, friend, you would be largely in the dark spiritually. Yes, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows forth His handiwork. We know that there is a God and that He's a powerful God and a, and a, and a smart God to make a world like this, you might say. But we don't know things like that God would become man and that Jesus lived a sinless life as a substitute and died a horrific death as a substitute and defeated death uh, by the resurrection from the dead and ascended. All of those things you can't find out by looking at the stars at night or looking at the worms in the ground and seeing the intricacy of the world that God has made. They are God's self-revelation uh, and, and His special revelation that tells us the gospel. They are, according to this text, the breath of God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Now, when you think of the breath of God, the breath of God, uh, it's, it's the Holy Spirit of God. It's called the breath of God in the Old Testament, in Psalm 33 and other places. And, and the Spirit is, is a creative Spirit, right? Uh, in Genesis 1, verse 1, and the Spirit of God uh, was uh, brooding over the surface of the waters. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And, and so this all scriptures God breathed means all scripture is, is, yes, the breath of God. All scripture is the creation of God. And you say, but didn't men speak it and write it? Well, yes, but listen at Jeremiah 1. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I put my words in your mouth. Well, if I'm Jeremiah, about that time I, what, choke? <laughs> you put your words in my mouth? Yes, that's what the claim of the Bible is. That's what the Orthodox teaching is, that God has put his words in the mouths of his prophets to deliver to his people the word of the gospel. That's good news, right? All scriptures God breathed and profitable. Uh, the word for profitable can, mean, profitable can mean beneficial or valuable or useful uh, because of their source, God, because of their content. They're, they're useful for faith and repentance and tell us to what we're to believe, what we're to do, how to live a godly life. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable. And one of the things you and I need to realize as we read a verse like that is is to ask ourselves the question, how much of my time do I use with unprofitable things? And, and ultimately, uh, our time is our greatest resource, right? Our ultimately, our time is our most scarce resource. No, you say, well, money's my scarcest resource. Well, okay, I don't want to get in a, in a debate about that. Maybe, maybe, but maybe not. Uh, for most of us, time is our most precious re resource. What are we using it for? Are we using it to deal with what's profitable? Uh, are we using it to memorize Scripture in accordance with this plan that we've got this year for children and, and adults to do it too? Um, 
If all scriptures God breathed and profitable, then what? Then I must read it. I must read all of it, Old Testament, New Testament. I must study it, memorize it, and I must read it in faith. You know, one of the problems, the reason I said earlier we need to, uh, to get grace from this means of grace, we've got to have faith. The problem for many of us is that we, when we read certain parts of the Bible, our faith gets weak. And so I'm reading Leviticus. I'm reading Chronicles. I'm reading some part of the, uh, of the Bible that's not one of the Gospels, we'll say, and we think, is this really worth it? Is this really profitable? But, I mean, the text says all scriptures God breathed and profitable, but this doesn't seem to be very profitable to me. So how can Leviticus be profitable for me? Well, I would contend that, that without Leviticus, you really don't understand Jesus and what he did. Because Leviticus tells us so much about the Old Testament sacrificial system that points directly to Jesus, who is the final sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. And to really understand all that he did, we need to understand this. And I, I get it, you know, that Leviticus is not uh, as, as uh, easy to read or maybe as interesting to read uh, as, as one of the four Gospels or even one of Paul's letters. But it's profitable. And so I read it in faith. It may not be all I'm reading it when I'm reading uh, that part of God's Word. But, but it's profitable. I've got to read it in faith that it is relevant, that it's not just remote and uninteresting, and God will bring it to bear in my life. I think one of the reasons we don't think so is we don't study the Bible very deeply. I mean, we, we use the Bible like a drug dealer uses drugs. We want to get a high, and, and when we don't get a high, we think, well, that just wasn't very profitable. But, but it's more like uh, training uh, uh, for the Olympics where you, you, you work out day after day after day after day. Um, and and, um, and, and uh, Paul said in another place, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And, and the word discipline uh, is, the, is the Greek word gymnazo, from which we get gymnasium, and the picture is working out a little bit day by day by day, you get stronger day by day, you grow in your abilities day by day, and that's what, the way we have to use the scriptures, day by day, and we gain a little bit, we walk a little bit. If you're, if you're uh, uh, I, I know a man in, in, uh, lives in uh, West Lynn uh, that um, is, is uh, trying to get over a hip replacement surgery and trying to get stronger and everything. And, and he told me, I was emailing him the other day, and I said, how's it going? He said, well, it, it's going. He said, you know, I walked a quarter of a mile the other day. I walked a half a mile. He said, I had to call my wife and get her to come get me, but I'm making progress, and I hope in a little bit I'll be able to get there and, and walk back home, you know? And I said, well, yeah, you'll make a little bit of time. That's the way godliness comes. So we read the Bible, we don't get a high. Well, okay, I don't get a high when I exercise, do you? <laughs> Most of us don't, right? But you get a little stronger, okay, and that's what we need to do. We've got to read it, all of it, we've got to read it regularly, we've got to read it with a view to obedience. Uh, remember I said last week, Bible knowledge is not an end in itself, but a means to an end. And it's a means to an end of knowing God and growing in our relationship with God. We find out the gospel. We believe the gospel. We find out what the good life looks like. And, and it's hard to live a good life because we're fallen and we're broken. And so we've got to work and exert effort and energy. 
Indeed, I would say it's possibly dangerous to take the Bible as a means to an end because it may well puff us up with pride. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 8, knowledge puffs up. And the Pharisees were puffed up with their knowledge. Not very godly people, but they were puffed up with knowledge. And, and another danger without re reading, studying uh, the Bible without a view to obedience is that it will harden our hearts. Um, let me just be pointed. If you're a person who likes to hear the Bible but are not resolved to seek to obey the Bible, then every time you hear the Bible taught, you're training yourself not to obey the Bible. And in a sense, you're hardening your heart against obedience. You say, you mean I can harden my heart by going to church? You can. You absolutely can. You can train your heart in disobedience. Because you, 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 you think, well, I'd, I'd be interesting to see what Alan has to say today, or what EC had to say, or what Michael had to say. But I have no, no, I, I have no plan to try to change my life. See, if a preacher asks you to change your thinking, people do that very readily. Oh, I want to get straightened out of my thing. When Peter says you need to change your life, oh, no, that's a totally different thing. That's a totally different thing. You mean you want me to stop doing something? Instead of watching 10 hours of TV a day, you want me to watch five and read the Bible a little bit? Yeah. Mm. You want me to not be on Facebook quite so much so I have time to pray? Yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah. Or whatever you're on. I don't even know the latest things. I'm sorry, you know. I'm a technological Neanderthal, okay? But, but yeah. So, so you, can, you can harden your heart by listening unresponsively. Absolutely. Absolutely. So all Scripture is the breath of God, the creation of God, the revelation of God in the gospel, and it's profitable. So, what's it profitable for? And this is my second and last point. Um, and you've got these four things. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. All right. So, what are those four? And are, are they just four in a line? Uh, uh, and, and is there a structure there? And if so, what's the structure? And, and I'm going to tell you what I think is easy to see, and then I'm going to tell you how I interpret it uh, after I so, show you the structure, and, and then uh, if you disagree, that's okay on the last part, okay? All right, so he's got a positive teaching, reproof is a negative, correction's a negative, and training in righteousness is a positive. So he goes positive, negative, negative, positive, which is a standard uh, Hebrew form of thought, and never forget that Paul was... Uh, was trained under Gamaliel, uh, a rabbi. So you've got these um, a positive, a negative, a negative, and a positive. Now, I think the first two have to do with what we're to believe, and the second two have to do with our conduct. Creed and conduct. Uh, let me show you that. For instance, for teaching. Uh, they are profitable for teaching. Teaching what? Well, teaching the, the will of God, the whole counsel of God. 
uh, teaching about the gospel of God, teaching about the grace of God, teaching about all the things that you find in our confession of faith and our catechisms, the positive content of the faith, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, the positive teaching of the scriptures. Negative. Uh, reproof. What is that? I think that's the refuting of error. One of the things you find uh, with more frequency than you might expect is that when Paul is writing to Timothy, uh, particularly Timothy and Titus, he's repeatedly telling them, you need to tell those people to quit teaching certain stuff. It's wrong and it causes problems for the sheep. It causes problems for the church. Reproof. Uh, it can be in a more personal way uh, when people are personally on paths uh, that they uh, shouldn't be on uh, in their thinking. Uh, you, you, re you reprove them and tell them they shouldn't think that way. Okay, um, so our creed, our beliefs, our teaching positive reproof is negative. And I think the second two have to, con have to do with conduct. So... The negative then would be uh, for correction. Correction. And, and the word for correction uh, means uh, uh, to set up right again. To set up right again. Suppose uh, uh, I was looking at this thing. I thought this would make a decent illustration. Suppose you took that thing home right here and you put it out in your garden. Okay. Well, if you're like me, most of us, your garden is not exactly flat everywhere, right? And so you put it up there, and it wouldn't be too surprising if you went away or came back the next day and the thing had fallen over because you got it on uneven ground. And so then you pick it up again. That's the picture in this word, correction. When, when things fall over, some of you kids might have a, a stuffy, a stuffed animal at home, and you set your stuffed animal up on your bed or in a chair or up on top of a chest, and you come back and it's fallen over. And what do you do? You pick it up and you set it up right again. What do I do in the Christian life every day? I start off in a certain way and I fall. And the scriptures will set me aright again. And that's the, that's the meaning of correction here, to correct, to restore uh, uh, to correct to an upright state, uh, the improvement of a life or a character, and, and then more positively for training in righteousness. Uh, the, the, the word there has to do with instruction or discipline, uh, training and education um, um, to, to, to tell us how to live. And again, what's required if the Word of God is to be this for us? Well, we've got to have faith, we've got to have the touch of the Holy Spirit, but humanly speaking, we've got to have humility and diligence and discipline to read and study the Word of God. Are you profiting from the Word? Are you reading it? Are you reading all of it? Are you reading it with a view to understanding and, and, and renewing and, and cultivating and increasing your obedience to it? I hope so. Profiting from the Word, being transformed by the Word in our thinking and in our doing. So it goes on to talk about the purpose of the word, that the man of God may be competent, the follower of God. Um, this has to do with more who we are, um, but in the, in the, the, the word, as, as I understand it in, in, the, uh, in the original language, has to do with, um, uh, well, it's translated complete in some translations. It's, it's translated perfect in other translations. What does that mean? So suppose you are a woodworker 
and you made a, a, a chest of drawers. And, uh, and, and um, I came to look at your chest of drawers, and you're a, a good word worker, and I might say something like, that is a perfect chest of drawers, okay? And you, you know, and, and some of the more cynical types might be, well, it's really nice, but it's not perfect, you know? There's a little bit here, a little bit there. The word perfect sometimes means uh, mature. So if you see a perfect uh, iris this time of year, or perfect rose, it's a perfect example, but if it, is it perfect? Does the word perfect in, in the way we sometimes think a moral perfection fit at all? And I think the word perfect doesn't uh, always fit. Uh, our views of perfect don't always fit what the Scripture is trying to say. Sometimes it means full grown. Sometimes it means a perfect example of its kind um, um, and, uh, or mature. Um, uh, in, if you're a, in, into language, it's a completed action. Uh, uh, you might be uh, uh, completed as God wants you to be completed. Uh, the New American Standard calls it adequate, up to the task, okay? So all of these things, I think, are a part of the intention of God in giving us the Scriptures, that we might be perfected, we might be completed, we might be matured, we might be adequate for every good work being equipped for the good works that God plans in eternity past for us to do. Um, um, and the word equipped, where it says um, the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Um, when you load up the car uh, for vacation, you know, suppose you're going to Utah, to the desert or something, you know, and, and, and you load up and you've got the kids and the car and stuff's coming out every window and everything, and, and are you going on a backpacking trip and you're checking your backpack and you're checking to make sure you've got this and that and the other thing, and, 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 and that's equipped. That's equipped. When you've got everything, you're working toward being equipped the Word of God is to equip us, to prepare us, uh, like a, a provisioning a ship for a voyage or a backpack for a trip. Uh, that's what the Word of God is to do. So if we're going to uh, do good works, we've got to be equipped to do those works or provisioned to do those good works. And, and that's what the Scriptures do. Um, now, I want to do a little bit of an aside. I'm, Mike Autry hadn't asked me to do this, but I'm going to do it for his sake because I've been a pastor for a while, and, 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 and pastors catch some grief from this uh, uh, or some questions anyway. In Ephesians 4, um, it says this. Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. And most interpreters would take pastor-teacher to be what EC was, what Mike Autry will be here. Uh, the, the pastor, the, 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 the chief uh, shepherd in the local church. Uh, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So the, the work of ministry is supposed to be done by the, the whole church and the pastors to equip and train. And so the question becomes, are pastor teachers, do they have to be omnicompetent? Do they have to be to equip you for ministry? 
So they have to be competent in every area in which competency is required. And the answer, I think, as I've uh, posed it, is pretty obvious. Nobody's omnicompetent. So how is it that the pastor-teacher equips the saints for the work of ministry? Well, he does it by preaching and teaching the whole counsel of God. I mean, Mike can't train you to be a, 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 a mercy ministry expert and a Bible study expert and a prayer expert and, a, and an evangelism expert and a, any other kind of expert. He can't be uh, uh, omnicompetent as an equipper. But he can teach you the Word of God, and I believe he will teach you the Word of God. And if you will listen to the Word of God and seek to do what it says, you will be equipped... You will be provisioned. You will be enabled to do the good works that God has called CVP as a group to do. But without the Bible, uh, you can't do it. You can't be a successful church. You can't be a successful Christian without knowing in a deep and an increasing way uh, the Scriptures. So earlier I made the point that none of the means of grace works automatically. All require the attendant work of the Holy Spirit. So what are we to do? Just wait on God? Wait on the Holy Spirit to zap us? Wait on the Holy Spirit to float the covers off in the winter and get us out of bed and wait for the Holy Spirit to make the cup of coffee for us so we can wake up and go to read the Bible? Do we do that? No, we don't. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, friend, in addition to studying it, you need to hear it preached. You need to hear it taught. You need to meditate on it. You need to memorize it. All of these things that have been said, that I've been saying, you need to use the means of grace in faith. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Lord our God, help us to use the means of grace, the Word, sacraments, prayer, Help us to be diligent in our studying. Lord, many of us would want you to zap us and make us holy instantly. But it just doesn't work like that. It just doesn't work automatically. I can't become the Christian you want me to be. This church can't become the church you want it to be without a diligent and deepening understanding of the scriptures. So I pray that the spirit that inspired these words will illuminate them to all our understandings and open our hearts and change our lives because we believe that the life you want us to live is the very best life that can be lived in a fallen earth. And we pray in Jesus name. Amen.